Today on the No City on the Sideline Dad podcast, episode 89, how important are dads in the child's life? What are the consequences of dads not being there? And also a story of a great dad and an impossible kid. Next on the podcast, let's do this. Welcome to the No Sitting on the Sideline Dad podcast, a podcast about a journey of discovery and conversations about not sitting on the sideline of life. Let's get involved. Here's host Joe Foley. Welcome to No Sitting on the Sideline Dad podcast. Hey, my name is Joe Foley. And I really, really want to thank you for being here. I know there's a time, parents, time is limited, so thank you. Thank you for choosing. I know we have all kinds of options, and I really do appreciate you. So thank you. Next up, my guest, George Kaler, author of the book Surviving Georgie. <laughs> this book is kind of cool because it has illustrations of all kinds of mischief George got into as a kid. It's all about life lessons growing up on the farm as a kid during the early 50s. Kind of the age of innocence, actually. George talks about his mischief and some of the stuff he did. I'm laughing because I'm thinking I read a little bit of the book and stuff like that. And also his relationship with his dad, his father. How important things, how important role his father played in his life. And how close he was to his dad. It was, it was kind of, list, when you'll hear more about in the interview, but it was kind of interesting to listen to him and how much he loved his dad. And how much important his dad was to him. Interesting man. He did a lot of interesting things during his life. He's, um, George also toured a band for six years. He, lived, he lives in um, Puxatawney, Pennsylvania, right where the uh, groundhog, you know, the one comes up every second if you see the shadow. It's a really interesting interview, and George has some funny stories and stuff like that. So let's jump right in. Welcome to the podcast, George. It's an honor to be here, Joe. Thanks for having me. It's one thing important. I, I really like your book. I really look, and it's, it shows the importance of fathers and the love of fathers and how important fathers are. And there's something topic that it's really, I think, it hits home for you and hits home for me because I'm a dad. And I think it's important to be in my, my son's life. So what is it? What does being a dad mean to you? Well, he was my mentor, my guardian angel, and my uh, punisher. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> some of the egregious things that I did in my childhood, which are pretty well outlined, uh, ages 5 to 12 in the book Surviving Georgie. I think it's important that, especially the time going on now with the situations with the riots and the and the, the pandemic and and the, the the crime, I think something's missing. I think fathers are missing in kids' lives. And, then the, and I wonder if we can touch a little point about that. Um, I'm friends with uh, Martin Luther King's niece, Alveda mm -hmm. King, and we were talking uh, uh, not long ago, and she said, you know, there's such a, an absence of daddies in the homes. The looters, the rioters, the, the burners, the killers, and so on. There's no daddies in the mix, no role models, no protectors. Uh, it's just, I feel so sorry for them that that isn't there. I think it's also missing out a lot of stuff, too. And being, being a father myself, and I've gone through um, dysfunctional divorce family myself, and my dad wasn't around. And I was thinking about it something the other day. Actually, it was yesterday, not the other day. And I'm going to take my son fishing this weekend. And I realized my dad didn't take me fishing. And some, it's as simple as going fishing and missing out. I mean, it can mean for other things, too. We're going fishing. And I'm like, I never stuck my finger in the fish's mouth. I don't know how to hold a fish. 
and then it just being the importance of it that dad wasn't around to teach me and teach me stuff. Well, you you hold your finger underneath the outside of his mouth and the thumb inside his mouth, and you hold it like this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's just an interesting thing about, I just don't know if you as an analogy or something we're talking about, the missing part of the film. What important do fathers play a role in their kids' lives? And they teach them certain things. And certain. And when they're not there, things break down. I mean, I think sometimes fathers are forgotten in the sense that they, how important their role really is. Well, let me tell you a quick story here. Several years ago, Hallmark Cards did a promo for the two million men in federal penitentiaries, and they were offered free Mother's Day cards and postage. And nearly all the prison inmates wanted a card, and Hallmark was so happy with the extraordinary success that they offered Father's Day cards a month later. Fewer than 500 Father's Day cards were requested. Oh, wow. 500 out of over 2 million prisoners. Everybody wanted Mother's Day cards. And the upshot of it was Hallmark was just stunned that nobody wanted a Father's Day card. And the thing is, those prisoners didn't have dads in the home. And they really were an extraordinarily bad disadvantage. Uh, you, you bucked the trend. You turned out okay. In fact, you turned out fabulous. Um, a lot of guys haven't. It's, it's it's definitely interesting too, and and um, I think I've heard some before too. A bad absent in the house, less like less successful life the kids would have, and also their their while they're doing school behavior problems, stuff like that. It's the number one indicator of whether someone's going to be successful in life or not is a dad in the home, and. Uh, I teach ukulele free to kids <laughs> in the inner city here. And there's one daddy in the, in the entire mix, a whole class, everybody else. In fact, one day I was teaching chords to a little girl. Uh, she's maybe seven years old, sweet, beautiful. And as I was teaching her how to hold her fingers and so on, she said, are you a daddy? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, my babies are all grown and they have babies. And she said, maybe you could be my daddy. And it just just broke my heart. Uh, there just aren't any daddies there. And so the book I wrote, some people said, you know, well, folks from Saturday Night Live, some alums said, absolutely, laugh out loud, hilarious. And Focus on the Family said, spiritually deep. And I actually wrote it as a history book on America's Age of Innocence, but it's actually a love story. It's a love story between a great dad and an impossible kid. I was ADD, hyperactive, <laughs> and the world was my Disney world, and everybody in it was my ride. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a funny thing about that. Um, well, the time you grew up in the, in the um, time of the book and the time now, things will change a lot. But now everybody has that phone right in their head. And then go outside and play, get involved, and do stuff like you did. And then some, and the parents, like, you know, I remember not that long ago, I mean, it doesn't seem that long ago. I remember going outside playing until my mom goes, time to come in. The streetlights are on. Kids don't do that now. And they, I think they're missing out on a lot. More than we can imagine. Uh, we were the same way. In fact, that's how that's I almost got killed uh, uh, <laughs> about it. I don't know how many times in the book and how 
my experiments, they were always, nobody was watching what I was doing. Was, <laughs> my family had, there were seven kids, grandma, grandpa, a bunch of animals uh, running around and stuff. So everybody was kind of on their own and expected to do what was right. And uh, concerning what was right, mother, one night she said, we're going to start sharing time at the dinner table. And I want each of you kids to share what you did today. Well, Joe, that's where I learned how to lie. (laughs) (laughs) What I had to share was going to make everybody sick or worse, scare the hell out of them. (laughs) So I didn't dare share. (laughs) Well, I'm kind of curious. We'll go any further. I was kind of curious. Where did you grow up? what, What part of the country? Pennsylvania Dutch country. Uh, we're the only non-Amish farm now. I still have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, outside Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. You know <laughs> anything about Punxy? Yeah, it's the groundhog. The guy comes up every Tuesday, um, February 2nd and sees his shadow. I got to ask, since we're talking about that, I know we're going to get back to the book right but I'm just, I guess since you mentioned I'm kind of curious. How big is that during every year, that festival about the groundhog? It is Fourth of July, New Year's, Christmas, all the holidays rolled into one. Punxsutawney has about 5,000 people normally, mm-hmm. and around Groundhog's Day, as many as 50,000. Oh, wow. It's, it's like, yeah, it's like New Year's, New Year's Eve in New York City. Um, <laughs> <laughs> For Punxsutawney, it is. <laughs> I was kind of curious. You mentioned that. What is what is Dutch country in Pennsylvania? Like in Pennsylvania? I know you, you talk about being a Pennsylvania Dutch and an Amish, what is the difference between them? What is the difference between you guys? We were we were all German. We were probably the most homogenous group of people you've ever, ever <laughs> seen. And uh, But the Pennsylvania Dutch have two groups. You have the Amish, mm-hmm. and we call them impractical because they didn't have electricity and they uh, didn't put tires on their tractors and, and uh, they didn't, uh, you know, they were just impractical. And then you had the regular Pennsylvania Dutch, who we had electricity tractors. We were practical, and uh, it was so much easier to live. <laughs> <laughs> but it's um, it's interesting. I didn't know the difference. I was just kind of curious because I, I'm in. I, I, I was just curious. I live in New Hampshire. I'm in living in an inner city, so I wasn't kind of curious. I mean, only time I've ever had experience with Amish people that culture is I went to a, a conference in Pennsylvania. And there was a Reading Terminal Markle in Philadelphia, and they had the Amish making these pancakes the size of tires. And I was so fascinated with that. I was like, I didn't have one because I already had breakfast at the hotel, but I'm like, oh, those pancakes look awesome. <laughs> They're awesome cooks. <laughs> um, I'll tell you. At any rate, uh, the book, in the book, my dad, uh, it doesn't include all of, you, all of his screaming, mm-hmm. but his main thing he screamed was, what the Sam Hill are you doing? It was about to when I was about to get killed, or when one of the farm animals was about to get killed. <laughs> and uh, he was uh, he screamed that probably a thousand times or more during my childhood. It was I never found out who Sam Hill was. <laughs> May I tell you the first incident? What is what is the first incident? I'm curious. Anyways, um, incident. Well. I was about five years old, and I was absolutely terrified of the family pig. And whenever somebody yelled, the pig is out, (laughs) I thought it was going to kill me, for sure. And the pigs had attacked a neighbor friend of ours and almost killed him. His uh, collie dog jumped in the pen and fought off like six or seven huge pigs until he was able to crawl out. But he was still almost killed. And I was so afraid of pigs. 
So I decided that pig was going to kill me unless I killed him first. Well, Daddy had an old bow, and uh, he didn't have any arrows, so I made some arrows, and I knew it was just a sharp stick. And uh, <laughs> when a cowboy got hit with one, he dropped dead instantly. So I, de- I went down to the pig pen, and I threw some corn in there so the pig would come up, and here there were four pigs. Oh, I no. climbed up high enough, and I thought, <laughs> well, I had four arrows, and all four pigs would be dead. Well... I I never really thought of the consequence of killing all the family pigs. <laughs> it was just, they would be dead and I would be free. And, uh, you know, free at last, God Almighty, and free at last. Well, anyway, uh, just as I was pulling back the, the bow, I heard a, George, Georgie, where are you? And then louder, Georgie, where are you? <laughs> and then I don't know how he covered 100 yards in about two seconds, but <laughs> he came on me when I was pulling back. What the Sandy, are you doing? <laughs> he never, uh, he didn't punish me for trying to kill the pigs. I guess he felt sorry for me. And also I had asthma. Bad place to grow up on the farm was when you have asthma. And uh, But I could have probably gotten away with mass murder. You know, hey, <laughs> jury, <laughs> yes, he killed six people with an ax, but have mercy. The kid had asthma. You know, well, <laughs> I had asthma, but I had a great childhood. <laughs> Well, the one thing that's interesting, I'm, I'm familiar with your book, and a lot of really cool illustrations. And I have one, I have an illustration of a boy with a fishing rod, what looks like, I'm not sure if that's your father or your brother, with a, a lure stuck through his ear. I don't know if you want to... It was, my, dad, it was <laughs> my dad's best friend, took us fishing. Uh-huh. And uh, he, he had an assortment of lures, and mm-hmm. uh, so I thought, I had never been fishing, so I thought, I'll get the biggest lure so I can catch the biggest fish. So... I brought back the pole and brought the lure forward, and all of a sudden I heard screaming behind me. He <laughs> had this gigantic treble hook in his ear, and uh, and then I saw it in his ear, so I tried to pull it out. Well, that didn't work. <laughs> the screaming was even worse, and he yelled at me, "Drop the pole! Now step back!" It was like I, you know, I had a bomb or something. Anyway, uh, he cried the whole way into the hospital, which I thought was unmanly. It's that lure, you know, just sort of dangled off his ear every time we hit a bump oh no <laughs> it was awful and uh, he used words i'd never heard before and i told my daddy what the words were and he told me never to use them so i figured <laughs> they must have been bad well like any other any other stories you like to share maybe some about, about chickens or the horses or a bb gun or something like that anything you like to share about the main theme of the book in fact i did a uh little movie trailer yeah. i visited with disney studios last uh last summer they did a movie on one of my people in Uganda. Okay. I have medical missions there. It was called The Queen of Cotway. If you haven't seen it, it's a pretty good movie about this girl that we rescued and taught mm-hmm. how to play chess. And she became the grandmaster chess player of, of uh, Africa. And uh, Lapita Nyango played the lead role. Well, uh, where was I going with this? Uh, <laughs> anyway, to, to, the main, yeah, I did a movie trailer on. The chicken wagon. Um, I wanted the chickens to pull my wagon. I first started off with a dog, our long-legged dog, Tommy. <laughs> he was a biggle. We called him long-legged biggle because he had longer legs than short-legged biggles, I guess. Anyway, so I tied Tommy to the wagon, and and he wouldn't pull, so that's where sticks came in. I, I beat him with a stick, and he just laid on his side. I, I wasn't very good at beating, and he wasn't very good at pulling. So then I roped a heifer. 
Mm-hmm. And the heifer just stood there, so I threw a rock and hit the heifer in the rump, and she took off. <laughs> then I found out about uh, inertia and uh, and motion, and the wagon went off from under me at about 20 miles an hour. <laughs> I, I saw earth sky, earth sky, and I landed on the ground. It took me forever to get that wagon back because the heifer kept running. Every time I got caught up to her, the wagon would move, and she'd get spooked and run. Anyway, I finally got the wagon back, and I noticed these chickens. And I remembered mother's 20 mule team borax had a bunch of mules on the package, <laughs> uh, pulling a wagon, big wagon. I thought, I can't use a heifer. They're too dangerous. A dog was too uncooperative. What about a team of chickens? I mean, a really big team. <laughs> it, took me, it took me forever, Joe, to catch, to catch maybe 12 or 15 chickens. But finally, I caught them and, and took me all afternoon. And I had all the ropes tied to the gate post. And I... Tied them all to my wagon, and I sat back, and I had a branch. I thought, this is going to be great. Well, I brought the branch down on the chickens, and uh, they were running in all directions. That's in the movie trailer. It's pretty mm-hmm. funny. And the chickens are running in all directions, and, and my dad, all the commotion awakened him from his afternoon nap. He took an nap, afternoon nap every day, and that's how I got into trouble every day. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he came out, what the Sam Hill? Chickens! <laughs> anyway, so... I sat in the back wagon then. Now, those chickens went every direction. Finally, they were just lying on the sides, not doing anything. And what I didn't know was I only knew how to make slip knots. Mm-hmm. And as those chickens pulled, the knots got thick, uh, got tighter on their necks, so they were strangling. And it was interesting watching my dad getting his big fingers in between the little chicken necks and the twine. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even tell you how mad he was. Well, anyway, we had chickens uh, chickens for uh, Sunday dinner, several. <laughs> and he, uh, he said, thank you, Lord, for this beautiful chicken dinner. And he really didn't sound like he meant it. <laughs> well, I mean, one thing I'm curious about, too, I, I noticed on the picture I have on my notes here, of you and your dad. I think your dad looks like he's up in there in age and you're wearing orange hats hunting. What kind of relationship did you have as you got older? I started hunting with him when I was five. And uh, because it wasn't just a sport with us, it was life. If you want to eat something, you better go shoot something. And uh, my first gun was a single shot Savage 20 gauge. And I asked him for a repeater. He said, no, not until you can make absolute one shot kills no matter what you're doing it has to be a one shot kill before you ever get a repeater i still have that gun and that was the gun that i was holding on to when i fell through the ice you never let go of your gun for any reason while well, i was holding on to it and I, as i was slipping under the ice shelf i felt a tug on the gun and daddy pulled me out of the out of the dam uh, otherwise my body wouldn't have been found till the next spring well we hunted we hunted everything and ate everything. We caught uh, rabbits, squirrels, pheasants, quail, grouse, deer, and uh, a couple of bear. We didn't get bear very often. I didn't like it. It was kind of greasy. So it tastes like roast beef, but <laughs> greasier. And uh, we that's what we ate. We ate groundhogs in the summer. And uh, you don't want an old groundhog uh you want a yearling if you can if you can get one because they're a lot more tender and not as uh fat but uh groundhog's actually a very good meal well that's one thing that was interesting too because all the stuff you talk about in your book and uh, and i know i'm going to talk a little more about that in a second well the picture i was interesting is your relationship with your dad because i know you did a lot of other stuff and then more in the book 
what kind of relationship you have, Dad, as you grown older, and you told and you talked, you probably talked about the stories and all the stuff you've done in life. What kind of relationship as you got older until the time you passed? It's hard for me to talk about this without getting emotion emotional because I I just love that man so much. In fact, he died at age one hundred four years ago next month, and his last words to me: "I love you, Georgie. I love you, Daddy." And then as I said, I have to go kiss the grandkids goodnight. And uh, I heard him say as I left his room, Lord, a hundred years and a month, that's something. Thanks. And I came back, his eyes were closed. He was gone. His last word on earth was thanks. And so between when I became aware of him at about age two, till the time he died, I heard, I love you, Georgie, every day of my life. And uh, it's just, I treasure that. I'd pay anything to hear those words again. You know, just, they meant so much. I can, that's the only thing I can relate to you about. I think I mentioned one thing I can relate to you is my son is going to turn seven. And, I, and I'm also a divorced dad myself. And I make sure I, I contact him or be with him once. And I talk to him. And I mentioned no matter what I say is I love you, Sean. And, and it's, a, it's a very important to me because I, as a dad, I know as a dad yourself. And, you know, you having a dad is that relationship is more valuable than money. It's more valuable, the most valuable relationship you can have on this planet because you only have one and, and relationships are important. Family's important. That's one thing I can, I, I really get emotional when you, when you were talking about before when we met in a pre-interview and now I just, it really hits home. If you'd like, I'll send you a, uh, a hard copy autograph for your son. I wrote it for people in the beginning. I wrote it for people around 70. I'm 76 years old. I wrote it for people that were 70 so they could reminisce and enjoy their childhoods, the, what I call America's age of innocence mm -hmm. back in the early 1950s. But a lot of the fan mail I'm getting is from 10-year-olds. You know, Grandpa Georgie, were things really like that? Why aren't they <laughs> like that now? You know, anyway, my dad, he didn't just teach me how to fix things or how to build things. I can fix almost anything. I can build almost anything. He taught me theology. He taught me biology. He mm -hmm. taught me philosophy. Dad used to work with sons. And um, we, were, we were kind of family apprentices to whatever daddy could do. And although I went on, I, I didn't become a farmer, uh, although now I own the farm. I was just, I wasn't a good farmer like he was. <laughs> and I, I wanted to go uh, be a rock and roller. So I, I uh, took off with a rock and roll band in 1966 and toured for six years. And uh, that was kind of the shame of the, <laughs> the Kayla family. <laughs> but uh, every night it was still the same. We would talk, we'd have a prayer together and talk about the day. And, and although mother was our residing angel and everybody was absolutely in love with mother, uh, my relationship was pretty much with daddy. Mm -hmm. And uh, because we really, there was no subject as I got old enough to talk about certain subjects. There was no subject that I couldn't talk about. In fact, I'll tell you what, this is this is awful. But when he turned 90, <laughs> I said on his birthday, he and I were alone. And I said, hey, Daddy, I was reading where older people, as old as you, have sex. What about you and mother? Are you getting it on? And I, was just, <laughs> I was just kidding. But he said, well, only about once a week. But I noticed. I said, stop, stop. <laughs> TMI, too much. <laughs> I don't want to know. <laughs> he said, "Will you ask you?" 
And uh, that was one thing I did want to talk about. <laughs> but it's nice that not nice the, the nice have a father and son relationship and all the stories in your book and stuff like that. I think it'll reach people and it'll touch people and put smiles on people's faces about the stories in the book. I, I think I want to wrap it up. I want to think anything you want to think we could touch upon. We may have missed something you want to add. In? It's although it's been called perhaps one of the funniest books ever in print. There are some touching scenes too. When my best friend died and uh, little kids say they were introduced to death and they never really understood it before. Uh, they learned about the one room school and the responsibility that we kids had. Uh, there were no, there's no principal, no nurse, no janitor. We did everything. And we had the highest scores, inflation uh, adjusted SAT scores in America's history. Even though we had a grand time and there were 18 children in my school, mm -hmm. grades one through eight, we had a great education. And, and uh, I talk about it in my book. It's a, actually a history book from 1949 to 1956. And uh, I hope everybody who wants to learn about that period or just have a great laugh, go to Amazon and buy Surviving Georgie. Or else go to my website. Uh, I think the movie trailer's on there too, survivinggeorgie.com. Also, they, uh, where they can connect to you, they can connect to you on your website? Yeah, they can do that. Well, survivinggeorgie.com is the website. And uh, also, it's a bestseller, but the problem is it's only a bestseller in Amish stores. <laughs> you know, the head bishop said, perhaps the perfect family book. And uh, so the Amish have been buying, but the problem is there's not enough of them. So I need some, I need some non-Amish out there buying Surviving Georgie. It's going to be some great stories. Looking forward to reading the book, uh, more on the book myself. Thank you, George. Thank you much for being on the podcast. All links will be in the show notes for the book and where they can purchase the book. Thank you, George. I really appreciate it. I wish you were in Virginia. You'd be a hit down here. Thank you. Wrapping up for this episode. I want to thank George Kaler for being a guest on the podcast. You can find more about him over at survivinggeorgie.com and check out his book. Really, really check out his book. And I mean, it's great for the kids too, because a lot of illustrations, it really gives a lot of good life lessons. You can find all the show notes and links in the show notes over at nosittingonthesideline.com slash 89. Hey, please reach out, leave a comment, any questions, or just want to say hello. Hey, I got an idea. When you listen to George a few minutes ago, and we're talking about all the stuff he did as a kid, I wonder if you can relate. Or, here's another one too. How important was your dad in your life? Was he in your life? Was he involved? And what makes a difference in your life now because your dad was there? Moms are great. Moms are wonderful, but dad's just important too. You know, dads play an important role in family. When the father's not there, child's life, kind of kinds of problems. They got all kinds of issues going on in life because father's not there to be present. It's also interesting to hear about the Hallmark story about the Mother's Day card and the Father's Day card. Kind of also sad to hear the outcome. You know, us dads, we are important. And um, we play an important role. Well, thank you for listening. Until next time, take care. Give your kids a hug. How much you love them. Really, give them a big squeeze hug. Take care. God bless. See ya. See ya.